This week, Music Biz Weekly Podcast, it's the evolving role of artist management. It's the challenges of playing offense and defense every day in your career. You got to listen to this interview. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert Two longtime music industry pros discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. You got Mike, you got Jay, got a great discussion with an incredible manager sitting down with us this week. Uh, but before we get into that discussion, just a quick mention, be sure you're checking out HypeBot, be sure you're checking out Bands in Town. Thank you to Bruce. For all you to support us, those two websites are invaluable. Absolutely. Um, and of course, to our sponsor, discmakers.com. If you're a musician and you've been thinking of launching your next album as digital only, Discmakers has created an offer just for you. Get 100 CDs and custom printed jackets for just 149 bucks. At this price, there's no risk to try CDs. CD jackets are lightweight and perfect for mailings, selling at shows, and are easy to hand out as demos. They're also a great way to bond with fans while making some extra gig revenue. Our friends at Discmakers is a place to go for your physical media, including custom vinyl manufacturing and USB drives. We got an offer we put together with Discmakers just for you. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order, get 100 CDs and custom printed jackets for just 149 bucks for a limited time. Jay. Who's joining us this week? We have a great guest this week. I'm really excited about this one. This is Chris Nilsson. He is the president of 10th Street Management. And if you don't know about 10th Street Management, Google them, look up their website. They handle some of the top talent in the music industry. And we're really honored that Chris took time out of his busy day to talk to us about the evolving role of an artist manager. Yeah, this is a great discussion. Give it a listen. We'll see you at Subscribe the Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate. Today, we are happy to be joined by Chris Nilsson. Um, he is the president of 10th Street Management. Chris, so good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, before we hit record, Mike and I were sort of talking about the roles and responsibilities of artist management today and how swiftly they've evolved over the years. It's no longer, you know, just taking care of touring. And I think there were some people in the space like Howard Kaufman and Irving Azoff and Jonathan Daniel. And some of these people who started taking on the roles and responsibilities maybe that others took on, like the label and distribution. Talk a little bit about your role and how maybe it's evolved over the years. Sure. Um, I, I mean, so I'm 44 years old and I have been doing this you know, since I was 21 or 22. So, um, you know, like I, I actually wrote my senior thesis in economics on Napster. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, cause I was an economics major and, uh, oh, cool. cause Napster was like a big, you know, that was a big topic of the day. Yep. I was really interested in the music business. And, um, so I think, you know, the most obvious is, uh, streaming and distribution and, you know, the freedom of really any artist 
to be able to have a career and, you know, um, control everything themselves. I mean, it used to be that you needed a record company to be able to get the the records in stores. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and there was like a, you know, sort of burgeoning indie scene at the time. And I remember seeing like some of those bands albums in stores like in Los Angeles and just marveling, you know, at the ability to like, you know, for a band from a small town to be able to like get their albums in stores. And today it's completely different. Um, And I think like, you know, we talk about this a lot at our company, you know, the, the role of the manager. I mean, in a lot of ways, it used to be a proxy for the artist because it, it wasn't that easy to communicate with the artists they were on a bus you know for 12 hours a day no the cell bus, phones no fax yeah. machines no internet no internet yeah exactly so you know when the artist got to the hotel maybe they'd get a fax you know <laughs> or they get to the venue like they make a phone call you know call call the manager or whatever but i think you know i wasn't a, you know i wasn't in the business then like back in the 80s or or the early 90s before technology really changed the way that the business was done but you know i do think that that sort of role as proxy or or intermediary has changed a lot because i think the artists now have the power to communicate on behalf of of their own interests you know and what they believe in the moment and so i think like you know for us and the the way that we work i think it's a really collaborative process um and of course like once an artist or a band like reaches a certain level there's no way they can do it on their own like the business has just grown too much so you know they they hire us but we have to think about a lot of things that you know artists never thought about before um or that managers never thought about before which is you know, how do we collect data? You know, how do we analyze data, make strategic decisions, you know, based on on um, the data? You know, how do we, um, you know, how do we look ahead to where is social media going? Um, you know, it costs more today to reach, you know, a fraction of your audience on social media. You know, that's a big problem. or challenge that we face is like, you know, with all the intermediaries with TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Snap, you know, the artists don't control that data, nor do they control the access to the fans. You know, it's a, it's a plug and play kind of a, of a situation. So a lot of what we focus on is like, how do we migrate all those people onto our own platform so we can communicate directly to them. So, you know, a lot of what we're doing is we're trying to arm our artists, you know, which effectively are small businesses, um, you know, with with all the tools today so that they can deal with the challenges of tomorrow. Um, And, you know, obviously, like, you know, what we do, I often equate it to like being the CEO of the artist organization. And, you know, what are CEOs 
you know, what are they concerned with? They're concerned with growth. And so a lot of what we do is, you know, there's sort of a big question mark, you know, on my forehead every morning when I wake up, which is, you know, how do we, how do we grow this artist beyond where they're at today? How do more people, you know, listen to their music? How do we get people that actually listen to their music to listen to it more? Um, you know, how do we collaborate with other artists? You know, how do, how do they get seen? All of these, you know, elements of, of the marketing mix are things that we're concerned with. Cause you know, what we want to see, like, you know, that hockey stick of, of growth yeah. for, for all of our clients. That's why we're, we're here. If we don't grow their business, then, you know, we're out of business. When, when, when you're talking about all of this, overseeing all these different areas of the business, are you overseeing it in-house, meaning you've got people internally who are responsible for establishing a relationship with some new website, getting the data, analyzing the data, or are you more overseeing a record label to make sure the record label is doing all of this and doing it on your behalf? Or is it a, is it both? Is it a mix? It, it's both. And, and every, you know, every artist business is different. And I think um, different artists will succeed in different ways based on you know, what kind of music they make, how they reach their fans, you know, how long they've been in the business, that kind of thing. Um, so for example, you know, we have a, a very young client that we co-manage um, named Bailey Zimmerman, who's a, you know, country artist. And, um, you know, he's on, he's on Warner, you know, he's a, he's on a major label and, and the kind of music that he makes and his age and, you know, the, the, the possibility of success, you know, when we signed the deal, I think we all felt like this, he could be really successful. And I think, you know, we all made a decision that that's the kind of partner that he needed to be able to succeed in the biggest possible way. You know, we have other artists who, you know, may make more money and be more successful by, you know, uh, because they've been doing it for a while, you know, starting to retain ownership of all their, their masters and distributing them and doing more of like a label services deal. You know, we sign young artists who make, you know, we just signed a, a new uh, artist named Lacade. Um, a country artist who all of his music, you know, he's got over a million monthly listeners on Spotify, made all of it in his bedroom um, yeah. and then distributed it through a company called um, Vidia. But I think, you know, then we determined, you know, this is great. You're making money, but we think you could be a superstar, you know, playing arenas or stadiums or beyond that. So we have to think about, you know, uh, you might be making, you know, a, a good amount of money uh, by distributing your music on your own. But is that going to take you all the way? Probably not. So you may need to give up a piece of what you do, you know, in order to grow the business to to be the, the biggest and the best that it can possibly be. 
Yeah. How is that economics of an artist's career now? I know it's kind of changed and evolved. Is it sort of, you know, touring and merch and sync are kind of the big dogs? And then maybe if you're fortunate enough to get a brand partnership or, you know, and then you've got kind of the sales streams and downloads down near the bottom. Is that fairly accurate? Where, where do you see the revenue for most of the artists falling today? Again, I think it just depends on what kind of an artist you are. Um, you know, if you're the Doobie Brothers, you know, and you're doing like the 50th anniversary tour. Yeah. My guess is, and look, I don't, I, I don't know anything about their business. I bring them up just probably because I saw a commercial like for their tour on, okay. you know, watching Jeopardy last night or something. All right. um, but, you know, my guess is most of their revenue now comes from touring and t-shirts yeah um but i think you know if you're drake um or kendrick lamar or taylor swift any of these like massive global artists yes touring and t-shirts is a major business but but your streaming royalties are pretty significant too what about for Bailey Zimmerman or Lacade that are kind of where it sounds like they're doing really well, but they're still developing artists. Um, where do you think that kind of breakdown is? Well, I, I think Bailey now is, you know, is, he had an EP and then an LP and both were the highest streaming debuts uh, in, in country music. Um, nice. I, be, I believe that. That's that's congratulations. Um, that's great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, you know, so I, I would I wouldn't put him like in the developing artist category anymore. Um, you know, this is an artist who can sell tickets, you know, billions of streams um, and, um, you know, two number ones at, at country radio, you know, in a very short amount of time. Um, so I think like, you know, his business is really kind of off to the races in that respect. Um, but there are a lot, you know, there are a lot of younger kids who are, you know, very savvy on TikTok and, you know, putting out, making music themselves, you know, whether it's Logic or Fruity Loop Studios or, you know, <laughs> grabbing beats off of yeah. YouTube. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch, you know, how, how some of these artists are doing it and, and making a really good living. I mean, I think one of the things that's, that's interesting to me is I think artists, you know, can make a real middle-class living now if mm -hmm. they, if they want to, you know, having a cottage industry of doing everything themselves. Um, it's not ideal for some artists, but for other artists, you know, I have a really good friend, a friend of 20 years is a singer songwriter and, you know, she owns all her own masters. She gets a lot of film and TV placements, sells t-shirts and tours. And I mean, it's a great business for her. Yeah. Well, let me, let me pick your brain on, on this, the, in the, the whole evolution of the music industry over the decades you know, when pretty much any band started decades ago, none of them thought they would last, you know, if they could last five years, 10 years, they thought that would have been it. 
we now have, you know, we can count many bands that are 40 year tours, 50 year tours. How do you look at an artist that's at that point in their career? And I don't say this in a bad way, but it's sort of like they're at the sunset of their career. Their career is mainly sure. behind them. How do you set that artist up, you know, when the demand is still there? I mean, you know, you can see on the back of our walls, you know, there's a band Kiss. There's, you know, they're on their forever running end of the road tour. And the demand is there for that band to keep playing. But physically, these artists are now in their early 70s, mid 70s, late 70s. They can't. I mean, how as a how as a manager do you have those discussions of like, okay, you know, your career can still be churning along forever here, but we have to we have to adjust your plans because you know what, you can't do another world tour next year. You know, somebody's somebody's going to break a hip and that's it. <laughs> you know, somebody's going to break a leg. Somebody's you know, Paul Stanley's replaced hips and shoulders and knees and everything else. At some point, you've got to you've got to sit here and go that big money making pie of touring can't last forever. Now, how do you take those artists who that has been their life for 40, 50 years and go, OK, we have to pivot you and figure out how to sustain your career? when you guys may not be an active band anymore? Well, I think like, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question and, and it's a, the challenge of, of, of like winding down, you know, an artist or a band is not something that I've, I've necessarily faced other than, you know, when, when Motley Crue, uh, you know, retired. And, um, and I think, you know, that wasn't necessarily because of like physical limitations. I think they were, they just, um, you know, didn't want to be a band anymore at that time. And that was before the dirt and, you know, a lot of things happened, um, you know, after that retirement. Um, but I, I think like, it's, you know, again, like, it's kind of a case by case basis. I mean, I think if you are, you know, you're a vocalist and um, the rest of the band is, uh, you know, a bunch of hired guns and you can't sing anymore. I mean, that's like a reality. I think that some artists have to face and um, you know, if, if the artist still wants to monetize what they've built, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. I think with a band, you know, if you have members that have, that are facing, you know, certain physical limitations or, you know, psychological or whatever it may be. Um, and the rest of the band wants to continue, you know, I think the discussion becomes like, is this, you know, is, is a, is a replacement appropriate, you know, will the, will the fans, still want to come see us and in a lot of cases that that is the case i mean you brought up kiss you know it's two of the guys remaining although they did a you know a really smart thing in the beginning which is they wore makeup so you know it may not really yeah exactly matter. you don't know who's under but but i mean to your exact point we could mention somebody like foreigner 
Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a band who, you know, they put on great shows and there's still a lot of demand and, you know, they're on their farewell tour now, but what's the makeup of that band at this point? I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, think, I mean, I, 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 think, I, think, I think I think real quick, I think the issue is kind of this is something that's never been encountered before in the industry. Sure. Bands have never had to deal with, you know, being 50 years into their career and the fans still want to pay to come see them. Managers have never dealt with artists that have done this before. Labels have never done it. So is this kind of uncharted territory where everybody is like, I don't know. We're making the rules as we go along here. Sure. And and I think there's a lot of big questions now about, you know, how do you carry on the legacy or the estate, you know, of these artists? You know, what does it mean, you know, to the public? And, you know, what what's the appetite for the public to continue to, you know, consume whatever they've done? I mean, I've seen wacky like you know hologram demos of artists that you know you watch and it's it's pretty incredible but it's very much like in the infancy stage technologically you know it costs a ton of money to to build and it still looks like a little you know yeah like the, the right. uncanny valley like is definitely present you know when you're sort of watching these things and but you see like it's a little bit of like you know the 8-bit nintendo version uh versus like you know call of duty today you can and you can see where it might be going and i think like i i i don't know a lot about it but i think like abba is doing a big mm-hmm. show in London where it's, you know, holograms of them. And, um, you know, but it's also like trying to be creative and smart. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, just on the ABBA uh, uh, topic, like who would have thought that you could take those songs and make Mamma Mia? Right. I mean, right. that's a brilliant exercise of, you know, taking the music and creating something that didn't exist before which you know probably all of those songs now in the public consciousness because of that musical like then enables the band you know or the estate to do the hologram show in london yeah Yeah. um so i think like you know just to start to answer your question i think the industry has questions about you know, where do you go with this? Um, I mean, I think like sort of the number one case study is going to be the Rolling Stones. Um, I mean, they're the sort of longest running touring band uh, off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. you know, that's still really, you know, does it and does great business. And, And I think at this point, we kind of marvel at the fact that like Mick Jagger can still you know, dance like he does, and that Keith Richards is even still alive. Um, <laughs> You're right. But I think like a band like that, like the songs are so ubiquitous, like they're they just have permeated the culture so much. There, there are limitless things that you can do with Rolling Stones yeah. songs. Yeah. Um, 
is part is part of your role in all of that to take and and I know fans hate this sort of discussion, but to take that band and create a brand of that band that is so big and powerful that the brand will be able to live regardless of what the members are, what the creation is that's happening, whether there's new music or not new music, the brand itself, the Rolling Stones, Motley Crue, Kiss, Beatles, those brands have such strength and power that they're going to live forever, regardless sure. of the status of the members. Sure. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is like, yeah, and I think like the, the sort of the word brand is kind of tossed around a lot. Um, in, in a, like, I understand w what you mean. Um, but I think effectively what it is, is like, you know, the, the brand is a promise, right? It's a, it's a, it's a symbol. It's a, it's, it's, um, it tells you what you're going to get, mm -hmm. you know? And I think like a lot of that comes from like the storytelling, you know, that happens throughout the artist's career. And, and we're seeing a lot more of that now with social media, because you're like following the story, you know, the artist like on stage and off stage. But I think like, you know, all these bands like Kiss represents something that no other band can represent you know, Motley Crue represents something. I think like beyond the band playing on stage, whatever it may be, you know, a musical with Motley Crue songs, um, you know, a roller coaster at Six Flags, what, you know, whatever. I think people would understand like, number one, it's fun. You know, number two, like there's a certain element of danger, you know, or excitement to it um and um you know number three i think people will know like that it that it has whatever you're doing whatever you're engaging with with that brand like there's a certain edge to it you know yeah. um yeah. you know i think at this point like the rolling stones you know their songs are are so ubiquitous like you could hear a you know muzak version in rite aid and you would know exactly what song mm -hmm. it is sure um you know at this point i think like the rolling stones also just represent like longevity and they're almost like carrying a torch for an era um and to me like that's what a lot of that represent it's it's you know, going to a rolling stones concert is like almost the only time machine that you have back to like swinging london yeah. You know, that's kind of what you're paying for in a way when you yeah. go see those shows. Like, absolutely. You're, you're, so I think, like, you know, taking that notion, like, understanding, like, why people listen to the music, like, why they engage with the band in the first place, like, what does it represent? You know, how does it reinforce, like, someone's identity? You know, taking all those elements and principles and understanding what they are and then trying to apply them to something else, you know, that um, that that also like carries that torch. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's switch gears a little bit and go the opposite direction. There's a lot of artists out there who would love to have representation by a powerful artist management company like yours, but not everybody's ready for artist management. And sometimes we hear things like, look, when you're ready for artist management, artist management will find you. You know, you need to have a business that needs to be managed at that point. But talk a little bit about how do you find artists that fit with 10th Street? Is it purely data with things like social footprints, streaming, YouTube, TikTok? Purely data is some of it looking for that lineup around the block to see somebody play. How do you determine what's a good fit for your company? Sure. Um, You know, and we have this, like, I encourage, like, all of our, you know, people at our company, whether they're, you know, like an assistant, you know, all the way up to, you know, look for and and find new artists. Um, And they kind of always ask the same question, like, well, what am I looking for? And I think first and foremost, like, do you think it's great? You know, is this person doing something that moves you? Um, and it it may not move me, but like, you know, is there evidence that what they're doing like is 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 moving someone or you know, this group of people like are are listening to what this artist has to say? identifying with it and engaging with it. Now we have tools that we can, you know, look real time to see like, you know, if that's happening and how it's happening and those kinds of things. But I also think like, you know, like an artist has to be savvy, you know, with all of the tools at their disposal um, that they can use without management. Um, and I think like, you know, from what I've seen, there's a lot, of, you know, I've worked with great musicians over time, you know, that are just not willing to put in the work from a promotional standpoint, or they don't believe in themselves, like in that way. And it, it just, it never works. Um you know, unless you just run into like somebody like Adele, you know, you're like, this is the best singer in the world. You know, I don't care. We should put her on stage like once a year and she can sing and everybody will just be blown away and like want to come back. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, like those artists are few and far between. And, and that doesn't mean there isn't room for like, you know, everybody else. And that doesn't mean that there aren't other artists who aren't great, but I think understanding like how to, you know, what fans want and how to get there. And, you know, also like, you know, how to find things that make your music different and creative and learning how to, you know, talk about whatever your message is, all those things I think are important before you have a manager because again, like we're looking for like collaborations, you know, creative co- collaborative relationships where, you know, the more info they give us, like the more info we can give them. So I think like artists have to be equipped and 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 ready and un- and understand all those things before, you know, we can really do what we do for them. 
I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, does. it, 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 do, it does completely. I mean, you know, sadly, so many young new artists almost look at a manager as they're going to be my financial backer. They're going to be the ones investing in my career. And to your point, it's a collaboration. Mm -hmm. You're going to work together at this. And it's not a one-sided relationship. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, and if, if, if other partners are, are necessary, you know, like, you know, labels, publishers, agents, all those things, I think part of what the manager, you know, also provides is, is there's a level of, tr like, we have a brand, you know, our company has a brand that we understand the business. We do really good work on behalf of our artists. And, you know, the train keeps moving down the tracks. Um, you know, we can execute all the things that need to be executed. And I think there's a level of trust then, you know, that the artists, other partners get that, like, if they invest money and time and resources and their political capital and all that, that like, they understand that we're there to make sure that everything works how it's supposed to work. Um, and um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, that's part of sort of leveling up, if you will, you know, with a, with a company like ours. Yeah, it's kind of a misconception. I saw this great meme, you know, you've seen these memes before. It's like what my mom thinks I do, you know, what I actually do, you know, that sort of thing. And one of them was uh, artist management. And I, I thought it was really funny the, to take a look at that. So talk a, a little bit about what's a day in the life of an artist manager. Now your role is a little bit different. You've been in marketing, you're the president. It's, it's a little bit different than a day-to-day -day manager, but you certainly know how the sausage is made. I, talk a little bit about what is a manager's roles and responsibilities today? Sure. I mean, I think sports analogies are cliche and stupid, but, <laughs> but. I think but there's a reason like they're used so much because they're, you know, they, they're sort of microcosmic examples of like other macrocosmic like phenomenon, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, effectively um, every day we're playing a football game and, you know, we're the head coaches, but we have to play offense and defense at the same time. And um, we have to juggle both things because we, we're concerned with, you know, all the things that we write down on a marketing plan, you know, or a 24 month plan for artists that we want to do, you know, to be able to elevate them. You know, we have a goal of, you know, we want to do X amount of dollars in merchandise over 24 months or we want to have whatever it, it may we want to break south america like there's all these goals right and from them emerge all the next steps that you have to take so you know if it's merchandise and we want to get to this goal we better look at what we did 24 you know the last 24 months what did we sell what worked didn't what didn't work 
what are some ideas that we can come up with? Are there new like market segments that we can tap in? Like, are, do we have a more robust mailing list that now is segmented by what people want to buy? Like, I mean, I'm going off a little bit like on the details, but, but I mean, these are the things that we think about and are, are concerned with every day. That's kind of, you know, the, the offensive portion. Yeah. But then like, you know, we're getting hit by meteors, you know, pretty much every day and they come out of nowhere. Um, you know, big, big challenges that we have that, you know, we have to face. I mean, I remember one time we had um, two bands on a co-headlining tour um, in Europe and the Paris like Bataclan attacks happened while they were on the road and so you know not to get too much into the weeds about it but like you know you obviously you have crew members who are concerned you know that may want to go home um because they're scared that there might be another attack you have one band on the package that may want to stay you have another band that maybe doesn't you're looking you know you're talking to the business manager about well if one band leaves you know how much money are they on the hook for are they covered by terrorism insurance oh they're not because it has to happen in the country where the actual like where they were playing all of these things you know are yeah the makeup of the meteor and you know you have to get out of this situation you know with the least amount of collateral damage you know for something that happens like that and that's when you have to get really creative you have to think about possible solutions you have to have a million conversations with the band you're talking to insurance companies you're talking to promote you know all these things yeah. You want to make sure that at the end of the day, like the band doesn't come home and are a million dollars in the red, you know, with it. And, and that's not those aren't like, act, you know, the actual numbers, but I'm I'm just right. illustrating, yeah. you know, what you're trying to navigate when things like that happen. And um, and so and that can happen simultaneously with like you're sitting at your desk and you're looking at the new merch designs. So then all of a sudden you're playing like offense and defense at the same time. And, you know, you're trying to get both done. And um, I think that's a lot of times why it's kind of difficult to like explain in one sentence yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's so many things, you know, yeah. Probably varies day with. by day, and you know, totally. one artist, one artist manager. Once I was standing with him, and someone asked what he did, and he said, um, "I'm a problem solver." And if you if you talk with Doc McGee, he's got a sign on his desk that says, "I make other people's dreams come true." You know, so it's it's yeah. sort of all of the above. Uh, Chris, we could talk to you all day. Tell us where people can learn more about you. Maybe find you on the web. You know, find a little bit more about Tenth Street. Sure. Uh, I mean, we have a website. It's uh, 10thst.com. Um, there's a little bit of info on us there. Um, 
Awesome. And, um, you know, I can't remember if I said this on uh, when we were recording or not, but um, I'm I'm not a huge social media guy because um, I don't really think anybody really cares what I have to say. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, um, we I, do I think the websites. Like, yeah, web, website's a great place to start. I think it has our contact info. If people want to reach out to me, that's awesome. great. Like I always like to answer questions. And, and, stuff and, like and as for like current big tours, I mean, we know you've got Motley's out in Europe right now what other big mm -hmm. big artist activities are happening right now or coming down the pike for you a lot this year um I bet yeah we have um uh both ice nine kills and five finger death punch on uh you know two years of Metallica dates around the world that'd be um, a great so bill that's, yeah that's a pretty um that's a pretty incredible uh, opportunity and lineup. Um, and, um, we have Bailey Zimmerman, uh, on tour with Morgan Wallen. Wow. That's um, huge. Which is pretty great. Um, and, uh, you know, all our other artists, you know, are doing like, uh, you know, in flames are one of our Swedish acts doing a lot of European dates. I don't think we really have one band that's not touring. Um, it does year. seem like, I mean, we're, we're talking post COVID right now, but it seems like every band is trying to tour right now. It's they've got back. They, they, they've it's got crazy. a couple years of lost mm. revenue to try and start making up. Yeah. 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 Well, Chris, we, we would love to continue the conversation another time as well. Uh, it's so great having you on. It's been such a stimulating conversation. We really Thank appreciate you, you taking the time, man. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you so much, Chris. Visit yeah. discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping. Chris, was a great conversation, Jay. Um, so much great information about the yeah. evolving roles of managers and especially the end discussion of what's a typical day to look like. And, you know, it's playing offense and it's playing defense. And yeah, I think in this day and age of the internet and social media, there's, there's at least from an appearance sake from the outside, there seems to be a lot more defense that, that managers are probably having to deal with because, yeah. At any moment, someone's going to spout off something on social network and it might not blow up, but it could blow up. And, and, and I think you've also got the issues of, you know, we've, it, this has been said by bands, not just us, but, you know, bands are four or five way marriages. Oh, 100%. And if, and if, and, and if these guys have been together 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. There's there's a lot of grinding and personality clashes. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to partially wake up, a therapist. But, but but that defense is, you know, your drummer attacking the, the lead singer. Yeah. And now you're putting out fires that are literally internal to your world. It wasn't created by anybody else. I mean, it's yeah. stuff like that that yeah. 40 yeah, years I, ago it would have it would have flared up and disappeared because nobody would have known about it. But now yeah. somebody makes a tweet. And instantly millions of people are aware of what's going on. Yeah. And the one thing that he brought up that I hadn't really thought about much is that the way that it used to be, 
a manager was the proxy. You couldn't get a hold of the artists. They were on a bus. That's a very good illustration. You know, and we never really thought about that. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have a fax machine next to them. So the manager, and I remember seeing this with the Beatles and Brian Epstein when he was in New York and they had this little documentary and he was on the phone talking to publicists, talking about booking shows and that they had to go to the hotel and then set up these times to do that. And he's absolutely right. Now there's this different level of access, not only between people to management and management to the artist, but some of these agents and things directly to the artist. So it's a whole different job now being an artist manager. It is a hundred percent. I remember, I can't remember the exact year, 2003, 2005, something around there. You know, I was doing the VIP programs and we did them for Motley Crue when Motley Crue came back for their reunion. Um, and I, they, I distinctly remember this was the first time I was out on the road going to the Motley Crue kickoff of the tour, making sure the VIPs were going to go right. And for the first time, I had instant access to communications because I had a, a palm trail with me, finally a trail which meant not only did I have a cell phone, but I could get email and I could, I had instant access, you know, prior to that. That was unheard of. It was unheard of. I mean, honestly, it was, I still still tell people to the day, it's like back in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, if you were going to a convention, an event or something like that, it was kind of a mini vacation to some extent because you're out of reach. Nobody was going to reach you. I mean, if it was an absolute emergency, somebody would call the hotel and the hotel would ring you in your room and leave you a voicemail to call the office. Or you might might fax you. Yeah. They might FedEx you something, but you were basically, and it was accepted, you were out of the loop. Yeah. You could be gone for a weekend and you were out of the loop. Somebody had to be able to as your proxy back in the office, make these decisions to keep the machine That's right. moving. You had to check in. When I first started working at Universal, we had this system called Audix. And what you would do is throughout your day, your work day, you'd go hit a payphone, you dial a 1-800 number and listen to messages from the company. And you'd have your little notepad. You'd do it in the morning, maybe around lunchtime, and then near the end of the day, just to check in and hear what's been going on. And somebody might say, hey, I need you to call me back on this thing. Because we didn't have pagers really then. And we didn't have cell phones. And pagers sort of changed the game a little bit. But it wasn't until, you know, uh, the, the cell phone, that era and the internet. Well, now everybody's reachable all the time. And I, I got to imagine to some extent, um, it opens up, granted, you're no longer the proxy and you have instant communication with your clients, but it brings in a whole nother round of problems in that now the artist can actually be making decisions out there that might not be the decision that should be made. Yeah. And now you as the manager are like, okay, I got to clean up the decision that was just just or, made because he picked, something, he picked he picked yeah. up the phone and called the promoter himself or he answered the email himself. And That's like, right. Oh, or it could didn't. be just something that he said on social media. He or she said that could have been construed in a negative way. And we see that all the time. We've seen it with some of our favorite artists where they say something on social media 
there's a backlash. The management talks to the artist. Next thing you know, they go back on and try to walk it back a little bit. Sometimes it's it's not always a positive. It's, it's that whole evolution of the roles of a manager. Yeah, crazy. Um, it, yeah, it is. It's it's quite fascinating. It's an interesting aspect of. We this should have business. him on again. He was he was yeah. super interesting to talk yeah. to. Yeah, you know, it's it's an area of the business that that fans definitely do not understand and even young and new artists are very unaware of yeah what's the role of a manager as i said a lot of artists think aren't aren't you just my my investor now if you're going to manage <laughs> right. me you're, you're investing money in me. yeah no <laughs> no i'm i'm making a percentage of what you earn that's right <laughs> um that's it this week we want to do a quick shout out to bruce and everybody at hypebot and bands in town thank, thank you, you so much for your support and of course to our sponsors discmakers.com go over to their website check them out um that's it everybody music biz weekly podcast we're out of here see you next week industry professionals listen to the music biz weekly podcast if you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience get in touch with michael or jay to discuss sponsorship opportunities. for music biz weekly provided by larry and by jessica that's mars with a z